Our reading this morning comes in the second book of Kings, chapter 2, and you can find this on page 368 in the church Bibles. 2 Kings, chapter 2, and we start at verse 19. The people of Jericho said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says, I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Um, I just want to start this morning by just saying a little thank you. Just thank you for, if you're part of this church, part of this community, thank you for all you are, and thank you for giving all that you give. It's what makes the church, the church. You may think that's very small, or you may think that's very big this morning, but everything counts, so thank you. I also particularly want to say a thank you uh, this morning. Um, I was for a particular group of people who are the quiet prayers, sorry, that's me hacking, the quiet prayers who faithfully spend time in quiet with the Lord during the week. It's unglamorous, it's not seen, nobody knows you'll do it, but I want to thank you this morning. This week, um, it's all right, I didn't get deluged, it was actually my birthday. Um, I was um, part of all the different things that I did. There was a great number of things that I was grateful for, but one of which was actually the greatest gift to me was on my birthday to be worshipping with a group of Christian leaders and just tasting and see the goodness of God again. We can forget how barren we get her into a place. But my greatest presence this year, I had lots of lovely things from family, from friends, all those things, was to taste and to see and to know that God is good. God is good. To be in his presence is the most beautiful thing. Yes, there are many things that that entails, but I just want to say thank you for that. Now, I want to just do a quick question before I get going uh, this morning. Can I ask anybody who was born in Bath to uh, raise their hands? Okay, so there's uh, probably only four or five uh, people. So the majority of us uh, have come to Bath at some point. And I'd just like you to take a moment to think, why did you come to Bath? What brought you here? What was the thing that drew you? to this place as a city. 
See, I've, um, I'm, you can take a moment to think about that if you want, that's all right. Um, see, I've lived, before I came here, I've, we lived in the city of Winchester for four and a half years, and occasionally we say to our kids, you know, these two cities are not normal cities. This is what not the average person in Great Britain experiences. And one of the things, the reason I say that to, to them is that sometimes when we're surrounded in certain situations, we think that that means that life will deliver us what we want. You know, when we're in a good city, when we're in a good place, we think that actually we're owed a good life. I wonder whether you go to the next slide, Pete. I don't know whether you've gone to any of the... Um, things that you occasionally see in the press about, say, where are the best places to live? And pretty much any, any of these surveys that you do, Bath is up there in England as a desirable place to live if you could afford to live here, if whatever circumstances. People long to come here, think it's a prosperous place, see it as a good place. It's a place where I can flourish. But I also want to celebrate this morning um, that... Uh, I've lived somewhere else as well, other than Bath and Winchester. Would you like to go to the next slide? In the top ten worst places to live in a survey, one of the ones that always comes in the top ten is a town called Rochdale in Lancashire. And I lived there for seven or eight years, and it's fourth currently in 2019 or 20, I can't remember. It's fourth on the list of the worst places in England to live in a series of metrics that you can used to measure whether it's a good city to be part of. One of the, I did slightly disingenuously say to someone before the general election, one of the reasons that I voted for Vera Hobhouse was because actually she's lived in Bath and lived in Rochdale, not because I agree with the politics. But actually anybody who's lived in those two extremes uh, gets my vote for a whole range of reasons. Actually, it's a very different type of city. People think very differently. It's very different culturally. Very different attitude to what's important in life. But do you know what? My experience, and I can only say my experience, is there's not a lot of difference between the people in those two cities. Although the externals may be different and the challenges may be different, the state of people is actually very, very common. We can gather stuff. We can gather good things around us. You know, we can say we're going to all these good things that we love, but that doesn't mean we get a good life. I know the commercial says, because you're worth it, but it's not automatic. At Christmas, we celebrated the light that comes into the darkness. Christians have always been people who have been unafraid and unashamed to walk where God calls them. God doesn't just call us to the people we like, the things we like, the things that we gather around, but he calls us to walk boldly into some of the dark places. The fact that God came to earth shows us that. We are a missionary movement to spread the good news of Jesus everywhere. And this morning we celebrate the fact that part of that good news is the healing of the nations. I'd love you to just go back 
for a minute. Um, I will get going on the passage in a second, by the way. Um, is I'd like you to go back three years to the day. Three years today, I'd got organized, and I was um, literally three years to this day, uh, was my licensing in this church. And I got organized, and I got things there, and I was sat in this church. I can't remember where I sat. And it got to the two readings that I'd chosen that I felt God had put on my heart for uh, the church at the time. And this was one of the readings uh, that was read three years ago today. And it's a passage God has put on my heart for this church, put on the heart for what we're called to and what we're about. But I've not spoken on it in the three years I've been here. But I'm sat here thinking things are going well, it's all good. Then there's a man called Jeremy Key Pugh, who's basically the person who leads the, the Anglican group of vicars around, Anglican church for non-vicars, basically an important lay person, came to the front of, the, came to the front of church and read this reading, not quite as beautifully as Stephen, but he read this reading, and it was all good until he carried on beyond verse 22. He didn't stop at verse 22, and the moment he didn't stop at verse 22, my heart sank because I knew what he was about to say in the remaining verses on from 22 to 25 and 23 to 25. Have a read of them just if you want a little bit of entertainment. But Jeremy Kipu also knew what was coming and sat, stood there, and with a relish that I haven't seen in a long time, went on to read up to verse 25 about the youth cursing Elisha and calling him Baldy. Now, the reality was, as Jeremy was stood at that lectern, um, reading this reading and going beyond what I hoped, the archdeacon at the time, Andy, and the rural dean at the time, rich, were both sat in all that Anglican regalia who are both bold men. And with a kind of, with a, a love and a mischief that I won't forget, I read this reading with a relish that I could only, only kind of, couldn't replicate. It is at verse 22 that I'd like to stop this, this morning, and we're going to have a brief look at. Uh, if you want to go on to the verses beyond that, there's another sermon in there, another thing in there altogether. But let me just pray. Father, beyond any of my hopes, any of my dreams, beyond any of our thoughts or, your th or the thoughts of people here this morning, you long to bless us into life. You long to reveal yourself to us afresh. Your heart, your passion, your love for us is way beyond anything we can imagine this morning. And I thank you for that. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look through this uh, fairly briefly and go through these uh, verses. So we join Elisha as he's taken over Elijah's mantle as prophet, inheriting Elijah's calling and Elijah's mission during a critical period of Israel's history. With God's power, God's anointing, and God's authority... These prophets, Elisha and Elijah, were calling God's people to remain faithful to God, faithful to the covenant, and to turn away from all that was false, all that was leading away from God. And these four, first four, these four, let me try and say that again, these four verses of Elisha's first work of restoration 
healing the waters of Jericho with salt. So what's the problem here? What's the problem that we find in this passage? Those of you who know your history will know that Jericho was once a great city. We see right at the beginning that it says the city was in a good location. The soil was rich. The climate was good. The city was well built and beautiful to look at. Everything looked good in the city. But back in the days along before this that we see in the time before, um, before Joshua is that actually it was known as the fortress of Canaan, Jericho. But however, Joshua and the Israelites during their, their kind of time routed the city of Jericho. And Joshua pronounced a curse on the city. And so what we see is we see a picture of some of the beauty and the goodness and the potential of a city. But look closer and we see that beneath the surface, we see a different picture that the people were working the land to no avail. No matter what they did, it yielded no crops. It was fruitless. People were living a hard but fruitless life. Why? Because the water was bad. There's barrenness everywhere. And Jericho was becoming virtually uninhabitable. The people faced poverty and starvation and probably lots of childlessness too as they gradually reduced in size. What's the problem here? The water was the problem. Now, if you've been in Jericho two and a half thousand years ago, you'll know that water was life. Good water was good life. Pure, clean water meant healthy bodies, healthy babies, a healthy community, healthy livestock, healthy crops, healthy economy. With good good water, everything comes to life. All the wisdom of the teachers and the wisdom of the leaders in Jericho could not fix the problem of this plague of bitter waters of Jericho. So the men turned, the men of the city turned to Elisha for help, hoping that Elisha somehow can do some of the things that Elijah had done in the past. Something of his power and his authority would mean that that some kind of miracle might be possible to heal, to do something about the bad water in the city. And as we begin a new year, I wonder what you consider to be the problems you're facing. What are the problems you're really facing this morning. Actually, when you're really honest, when you lay it all out there, what are the real problems of your life? Are there parts of your life where you constantly experience barrenness, fruitlessness, defeat, disappointment, loss? Basically, it's a wasteland in parts of your life. And all of us at different times we'll walk through those bits of fruitlessness. Otherwise, none of us would be making New Year's resolutions each year. But this morning, have you thought about what God sees ahead for 2020? Have you thought about what God sees as the problems you face and what he thinks about it? Do you care about God's perspective on your life, on the church, on 
whatever it is. What about us in Bath and us in Walcott, for example? What's the problem you think people are facing for us? I mean, I'm regularly reminded by people that we have beautiful buildings. We have great history. We have fantastic parks and greenlanders. We have countryside around us that's amazing. We have a great cafe and restaurant scene in the city. We've got two lively and engaging universities with some amazing studies of, sort of all sorts of topics. It's a great leisure life in the city. We've even got a rugby team that occasionally wins. We've got a great theatre scene, we've got music, we've got art, we've got culture, we've got creativity, we've got an amazing group of people. You know, everything must be good, right? So why with all that? Why with all that? is there so much anxiety, so much depression, so much loneliness, so much restlessness, such accumulation of pointless stuff? Why is there so much striving for significance? Why are our relationships so broken in our families? Why is there so much selfishness? So much greed. Why amongst us, one of my friends calls it, why is there so much repressed anger in this city? Why is there so much confusion? Why is there the homeliness? Why is that that private sense of losing the battle of addiction in private? In our parish... Why is there so much inequality? And why are so many people, particularly in this age, taking so much of a refuge in fantasy worlds? Happy New Year, by the way. What water are we drinking? What water? Are we drinking? I know this is a simplification, and but I can't tell you, particularly outside this church, when I talk to other people beyond the walls, and often it's other church leaders, so this isn't just me saying it. When they talk about this city, one of the crass ways we talk about it is people talk about it, and I've heard this many times, say, beautiful face, but don't look round the back. Beautiful face, but don't look round the back. And can I just say for Christians, that's not okay. It's not okay. As we open our lives up to Christ, we open the whole of our lives up to Christ, to his life, to his work, with an honesty and integrity, and we ask him to come. It's exhausting wearing masks, utterly exhausting wearing masks, utterly exhausting to continually feel as though you've always got to put 
your best, your best foot forward. But honesty and transparency, transparency before God who loves us, a church who loves us, with compassion, with grace, with love and healing is surely, surely, that's what we're about, isn't it? The problem in Jericho represents a desperate need of every life and every community that lives apart from God. It needs healing. So what's the solution? What does Elisha do? You'll see in verse 20, Elisha says, bring me a bowl and put salt in it. Now this is not your standard problem-solving technique this morning. But they brought it to him. One of the great aspects of being part of a body, being part of the church, that has prophetic people part of it through the history of the church, through the history of God's story, is that prophets spend their time longing to hear from God. They prioritize what God wants, what God says for their own lives, but also for their communities. They're not just content with a history and a tradition, thinking about what God has done in the past, What's, what God has written of the story so far. But they live in the daily words and the manner of what God wants us for today and is calling us into in the future. Now, I know there's lots in the literature around this passage about why Elisha chooses salt and a new bowl. And I haven't got time to go through all the different aspects of that this morning, but they capture the significance of the new covenant and the old covenant of new wine and new wineskins, the salt, the salvation of the earth, and all that salt symbolizes, both at that time, in that culture, in that world. All of which, all of which, foreshadows the work, ultimately, of Christ. But for all the symbolic significance, the point is this. God revealed to Elisha this unique prophetic action for this particular problem in Jericho. This is what God says is needed to heal the water. So I ask again this morning, do you want to know what, how God sees some of the challenges and problems in your life? Are you open to hear what he says to you? One of the reasons we spend time praying, we encourage people to come and pray. If on a Sunday someone comes here, says, you know, I've got loads of stuff going to be like, I can't hear from God. I just have no idea what's going on. It's just chaos. One of the reasons we offer prayer in a service is just say, you know, gather some people around. Let them pray for you. Don't do it alone. Elisha then moves from listening to action, you'll see. He goes out to the source of the spring and threw salt into it, saying, this is what the Lord says, I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. So when God starts to speak to us, we start to hear in some way what God might be prompting us to do. He often calls us then to take a step of faith with it too. And this is what Elisha does in this simple act of faith. He pours salt into the source of the spring 
and speaks the word of God. He pours salt into the salt of the spring and he speaks out the words of God. And the poisoned waters of Jericho are made good. There's no more barrenness, there's no more fruitness. God miraculously heals the waters through Elisha's faith. The water becomes good, sweet, and drinkable. For me, one of the hearts of this passage reminds us of a really simple thing. We sometimes overcomplicate things again and again and again. We need to simply hear from God, and then we need to do something about it. Do we want to hear from God, and then we want to take a step of faith into what we think God is calling us to. In a sense, I know it can be more complicated than that, but that's what Elisha reminds us. That's what the prophets speak to us again and again and again and again. So how do we get familiar with that? This is true. There's a university in northern Iowa actually once offered a general art course that included a really unusual exercise as part of this art course at university. The teacher for this art course brought a shopping bag filled with lemons and gave a lemon to each class member as part of this art course. And the assignment for the week, or the assignment between this class and the next class, was simply this, for the student to keep his lemon, or her lemon, with them day and night. Smelling it, handling it, examining it, 24-7. That was their task. Next class, without warning, the students were told to put all their lemons in the bag. The task then was to ask each student, could they find their lemon? Surprisingly, most people did, without difficulty. Sounds ridiculous. How are you going to hear from God unless you spend time with him and get to know, to feel, to touch, to see what he's saying and what he does? There are needs everywhere in this city, from all the things I said earlier to the simple fact that as we probably sit here this morning or stand here this morning, 95% of our parish don't know the good news of Jesus Christ. That's it. What if this morning the solution is in our hands to the healing of the city? Because actually one of the challenges, there is no shortage of God in God this morning. In the gift of Jesus and the life of the Spirit, God has done all he can do. So we have what we need. But what's he saying to us? Maybe this isn't just personally, but it includes personally. And then what are we doing about it to step out in faith? And thirdly, we see uh, the outcome. If we look to the problem, we look to what Elisha did, we then see what's the consequence of Elisha doing what God had called him to do. As a solution to the water problem, Elisha's actions do appear ridiculous. Yet, verse 22 says, The water has remained pure to this day, the transformation permanent and complete. 
And Peter, if you got, um, I had a lecturer at, at college who used to show all his holiday snaps all the time, so I won't bore you with all the kind of things. But this is three, just over three years ago, going to, to Jericho, and it's still remembered of what Elisha did 2,700 years, just over 2,700 years ago. The waters around Jericho are still clean. See, when the water is right, when the water is clean, when people are drinking at the right source, everything flourishes. Everything comes to life. And a city comes back to life. I wonder whether that encourages you this morning. I wonder whether you believe that actually that kind of freedom, that kind of fruitfulness, that kind of thing in your life is actually possible. Is that possible for you personally? You may say, well, you know, God doesn't ever do anything good in my life. Might do in yours, Tim, or whoever the super spiritual people you think in this community are. But he wouldn't do it in my life. Wouldn't do it in my family's life. My family have had disappointment all the time. This church has had disappointment again and again. Not at my church. There are 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 60 other good churches in Bath. God wouldn't do that for us, would he? As Daniel said right at the beginning, the word healed, which is spoken here, is the word Rapha. We know it to be one of the names of the Lord, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals us. And here it doesn't just mean a personal, individual healing. It means healing for the nation, healing for the defects of a nation, healing for the distresses of a nation that actually places a barrenness of darkness would come back to life. The same word for healing appears in Psalm 147, verse 3. When he, the Lord, heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. In that, in that sense, in Psalm 147, sense, the word Rapha means, means to sew together and to mend. You know, is that what God needs to do in your life this morning? Actually, you're full of cuts, you're full of bruises, you're full of damage. And you know it, that you're broken. But you need the God of the universe and the gift of his spirit to start up the process of sewing you back together again, of healing you and restoring you. And the healing of the waters here in Jericho also speaks through lots of other passages in the Bible. But if you go right to the end of the Bible... In Revelation 22, what does it say? What's the vision? This is the words from the end of the Bible. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and the middle of the street. And on the other side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its very fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. As we draw together, our passage this morning is both history and prophecy. It's history because it actually happened. God healed the waters through Elisha and it's remembered still today. 
through the history of Jericho. But it also points to the fact that the Lord Jesus, in coming to us, is pointing to the healing of all the nations. God sent his son Jesus out of love to save and to heal the nations. He broke the power of the curse. He broke the power of judgment, of sin and death, and ushered in the healing power of the kingdom of God. And as we give our lives to Jesus, that's who we're giving him to, that kind of person who loves to heal, loves to restore, loves to forgive, loves to, to see us, bring us back to life so that we're free of guilt and shame, of being consumed by fear and a sense of God, continual narrative of barrenness over our lives to bring us back to life. And it's the pure water from the throne room of God that brings life and healing to the nations. And as his church and as part of his church in this city and in this country, we're actually called to continue this prophetic healing ministry of Elisha, but also when we see the life of Jesus in the Gospels. See, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is still able and sufficient. The same Spirit of God is at work today in the transformation of lives and situations and in seeing the renewal of this city for God. But will you commit to drink from the river of life this year? Will you commit to drink personally from the river of life this year and bring healing to those around you? What looks dead can come to life. It's our story in Jesus. What's barren can breathe again. Come, Lord Jesus. This morning we do need to be honest. I'm encouraging you to be honest this morning on this particular Sunday. Every Sunday is good, honest, but this particular one. Healing is needed at the source of the waters. In my life, in your life, in this church, and in the city. And you may say, well, Tim, I've tried really hard to get free of this stuff in my life. But I'm not free. Can I just encourage you to keep persevering? Don't lose hope. Offer some open hands to God. And he may find, you may find that he might begin to fill them. See, only Jesus, the salt, can heal our wounds and bring us back to life as we feel the warmth of his embrace again. Let's pray. I'd just like a bit of quiet for, for a minute. And then I'm just going to pray a number of things This is what I, was, um, I wrote earlier this week for myself. Lord, as we begin a new year, 
maybe my greatest resolution this year is to hear, listen, and live the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Lord, please help me to stop trying too hard, working too hard, being too hard on myself and others, and get God first, and get drawn to an even greater degree into his story, his life, his work, because we already have the story. Father, I know it starts in a garden and it ends in a city. It's your story, and by your grace, I'm privileged to be part of it. Help me to enter more deeply into it. And Father, as I turn this page from 2019 to 2020, I pray that that heart for you will be met in your story over my life. God, lay aside all the stuff and the nonsense of my own life and afresh put myself in your hands. Father, I want to thank you for your healing power that we see in Scripture, but we see throughout Scripture. It's who you are. Thank you that you're at work in this community. And Father, this morning, I want to recognize and want to encourage you if you're sat there feeling deeply inadequate, confused at sea, that all the frustration, all the disappointment and fruitlessness I may have been battling in my life is not due to my own inadequacy. I pray you'd help each one of us to see your perspective on our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your victory over sin, death, and hell through your beautiful cross and resurrection. And we proclaim afresh over your bride, the church, this beautiful bride, that you came to bring us life and life in all its fullness. That you healed the waters. And from it there should be no more death or barrenness. Father, set us free from barrenness. Restore us, heal us. And lead us into the fullness and abundance of your life. Thank you that you broke the curse. And in the power of your spirit, we receive your life. And we praise you and thank you for the good gifts we do have in our life but we ask that you would lead us on over this coming year. In Jesus' name, amen.